Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Today's guest is Simon Blundell, and his work is found at Simon Photo with an F, so that's S-I-M-O-N-F-O-T-O dot com. He's an incredible photographer, and it was just a delight to sit down with him and glean some of his wisdom, the things that he's gained by being a Photoshop teacher and a photographer. He also has his side business as a photographer, but he's also a a Photoshop teacher. And I discovered this when I was taking Photoshop in the fall of 2018. And there were a few times where I called up Simon to help me with some parts of my Photoshop uh, project. And it was so helpful to have a professor, a teacher, (laughs) help me out. And so that was very exciting. But this conversation is one that I really value. And it has to do a lot with the resistance we do feel to taking creative steps and measures, especially if maybe we aren't somebody who's an obvious creative or somebody who we feel like is obviously artistic. And I think that that's something that I relate to is that I've always wanted to be a creator in some form or another, but that I just feel like I've never taken the time to actually be disciplined enough to be an artist or to be somebody who really has created a skill because they've been consistent and steady over a long period of time, which is what a lot of these people are. And they also are people who have gifts from God that they've been given. Um, And I would say that Simon is one of those people who's continued to develop his gift. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Yeah. Check out Simon Photo. Will you give us a quick rundown on how you got into photography? Well, I started in high school. I was really um, interested in, I wanted to make the videos for the school con- or uh, assemblies. I like, you know, mixing video with the songs and whatnot. But my friend had better editing equipment. One of his relatives worked at one of the news stations. So he had high-end editing gear. And so he, he got the student body photographer job and I ended up helping, you know, on some of those projects. But um, what really got me into still photography was I was taking a physics class because I was interested in being a doctor. So I was taking all the science and all that stuff. And uh, I ended up taking a physics class as an elective and was just insanely bored because we were working on worksheets and I probably wanted to do more complicated things that was way over my head. But uh, my friend, he said, oh, you should take photo. We, We can, you know, leave class and go take pictures. And so I thought, oh, that'll be fun. And so I switched classes, enrolled in the the photo class, and it was just kind of a free-for-all. The teacher just kind of said, here, you know, here's Simon, teach him how to develop film. And so I just jumped in and I ended up really falling in love with the darkroom and black and white film. And uh, I got so into it, my parents gave me a camera for high school graduation. 
And then from there, I started taking classes at the university, and it was all kind of downhill after that. So. Oh, the dark room. Yeah, the dark room. <laughs> it's a magical place. <laughs> all right. Um, so we actually did this interview before. So this is not Simon and I's first time. The first time I uh, unfortunately didn't press stop instead of I pressed the red button, the record button, but I didn't stop in time and my battery died. And so we our first interview didn't actually work out. And so as a result of that, uh, one of the things that was so awesome is that Simon said, well, we were just talking about how failure is one of the most important things you can possibly do to learn. Uh, and so this is a great opportunity for you to learn, Tracy. <laughs> it's true. And Very so true. do you want to give us more on just, yeah, the most effective forms of learning that you've seen as a teacher? Well, I think the notion of failure is an important one. I think probably one of the more important ones for me personally. When I was in school, I did one project where I was comparing the difference in composition between black and white and color images. And at this time I was actually photographing with slides and film and um, to figure how to do the project, I, I had to uh, take pictures with the camera and put color film in and then take those pictures and then rewind the film and put it in black and white and shoot the same image. And, and as a result, I kind of would waste a little bit of film, but in the process, I actually made some mistakes where there was some overlapping exposures and and uh, a few double exposures that didn't work out for the project. And at, at home, I, when I grew up, my father's a, a painter, but we, he had a light table at home and I was editing the photos on the light table. And uh, I, you know, edited one to the side. I said, these are the good ones. These are the bad ones. And my dad came over and says, hey, what's this one? And I said, oh, that's just a mistake. And, and he says, well, this is the best thing you've ever done which isn't really the greatest thing you want to hear from your dad. Like, oh, the mistakes, your, your best work. So, but if, if we look at it in the right, right way, which we did was more like, well, what's great about it? And he, you know, we kind of talked about why he liked it. It had some great compositional things happening and some interesting color and, and uh, those elements that we really liked about it. And, and so from there, I started to think, well, how can I recreate this mistake, this random thing that happened? And, and so from there, I started uh, economically. It was just not feasible to mess with slide film like that. So I started uh, compositing images and layering them in Photoshop. And as a result, it created this visual style that I kind of now, I created a master's thesis using it. And it's kind of a, a trademark kind of signature to my own work. And it all happened because of that mistake. Whoa. And so it's it's really recognizing when your mistakes are important and, and viable to your growth and your future. But, you know, that's the question that you have with, with how do you, you know, keep those mistakes in, in, in your work? You know, how do you recognize when they're great and when, when they can help you? And, and so as a result, I kind of really think it's important never to throw stuff away. And, you know, early drafts, oftentimes part of them might be perfect for another project or something that you can further develop. But, if we're constantly deleting everything, there's no evidence of your progress and your mistakes. And like I said, you know, to me, that, that mistake is so much more valuable than anything. It's probably the most important failure I've ever made. Wow, that is so fascinating. So I wonder how that 
applies to real life. I mean, I, I guess that applies to real life, but how would you connect that to? Well, it's, I mean, I think if I look at that experience, um, you know, are we willing to take risks that create failure? That some things may not, you know, complete. I mean, if you were to take something as silly as weightlifting, I mean, really the growth happens when your muscles can no longer lift a particular weight. You know, you go to atri- you know, you go to to exhaustion where you can't physically do it anymore, and that's your muscles fail to lift that weight. So I think it's the same idea. Are we putting ourselves in a space where we can? Uh, to, can fail and learn from and grow, you know, so the next time we can maybe push a little bit further or develop an idea a little bit more or, you know, whatever, whatever we're trying to kind of work and grow, it's, are we willing to take a, a risk to invite that level of failure? Are we open to it? Is, you know, I think that the failure also incorporates a sense of vulnerability. And are we willing to kind of embrace that, which is a fundamental part of our humanity. And I think the more that we kind of embrace that and understand that and use that as a tool for us to to grow and develop ourselves is really the answer. Hmm. So what about for people who have not, maybe they don't feel like they're a photographer by nature, but they'd like to learn more. Um, What are some of the tips or things that they can do to improve their capacity to take photos? I would probably say the first thing that you should do is uh, start thinking about light, composition, and time. These three things might be the fundamentals that are tied into photography. So I think if you look at uh, light being the tool that creates, you know, the image, uh, but paying attention to the different nuances of intensity, direction, quality, color, those things will enhance your photographs. Uh, getting control over those things is an expressive tool. Uh, composition is all about what's in the frame and how you you know compose that, those four edges, that frame. What's in the frame, what's outside of the frame oftentimes can be really important. Um, sometimes it might create context. It might create questions. You're wondering what's outside the frame. It's incomplete, so the viewer might fill in the blank. You can use that as a a means of expression. And then the the last one would be time. When do you take the picture? Is there a particular moment that's really important, you know, capturing that moment? Or is it an in-between moment that's kind of just part of our everyday, but uh, in between as you catch those, those might be just as important. Which I'm guessing, because I already know this, that that's your favorite time to take a picture. It's true. I do like the in-between moments. I think there's more of those than this big events. You know, you start thinking about these monster events and life-changing rites of passage. You know, your first day of kindergarten, your graduations, your weddings, your bar mitzvahs, your, you know, whatever. You know, oftentimes they're tied to those rites of passage. But I think those sometimes are are big and and in some ways kind of unfulfilling you're they're overhyped but when you start thinking about these little moments of that you experience every day when those add up they they become masterpieces they become the thing that fills your cup is those little things every day that you can recognize as significant do you have a favorite composition that you could describe to us that maybe captures a moment 
Um, a particular moment. I mean, there's a lot of photographs that could incorporate that. Um, I would say if you wanted to look at uh, photographers that maybe deal with those ideas, uh, Henry Cartier-Bresson is, is a, a photographer that kind of coined this idea of the decisive moment. He's got a bunch of writings uh, and philosophies with that, but his idea was where everything in the frame is perfectly aligned. That's the moment you capture. Um, and then I would say on the other side, uh, Robert Frank and the Americans, which was a, a book done in the 50s that's really more about the in-between moments. That book has more of a pacing that's similar to jazz and bebop, which is kind of tied more to, uh, you know, again, the music of the era, but also maybe some of the beat poetry and that Jack Kerouac and, uh, you know, the beat poets and how they kind of looked at the world and the, photo the, the photographs kind of represent that in a similar way. But I would say Frank is more about those in-between moments and, and um, Cartier-Bresson is more about the, the decisive moment. Hmm. Yeah, there's, I guess there's value in both, right? Absolutely. You know, like there's value in both. Um, so also along with uh, being uh, somebody who doesn't, I don't even know who those people are. I have no idea who they are. Um, and somebody who is in front of a camera, this is kind of a different perspective, but how does somebody become comfortable being, having their photo taken? What are some tips you could give somebody who's like, at a photo shoot or getting ready, like how would you prepare people to be at ease in front of the photo, in front of the camera? Well, that's a, yeah, that one's interesting too. As you look at uh, a portrait photographer, we'll kind of work through that. And, and there's, you know, different approaches to that as well. You might have somebody that purposefully works with the awkwardness that that, that experience can be. <laughs> and that can sometimes create great photographs. Others might really work more on the relationship to ease that experience for the, the sitter. But I think um, I think there's always a couple of things at play with it. I mean, there's definitely a power play, uh, this sense of authority. The camera has been given authority by us, and that's why we fear it. Oh, I never get, you know, when I'm in front of this camera, I never, never shows me who I really am. I always look awkward or... You know, it's because we we understand its power of depiction and what it shows, but we present a, a falsehood to it. We present a, an idea, a concept of who we are, who we think we are to the camera, but in reality, it's not. And that's why we think, oh, that's not me, or I look weird. And So how do we disempower the camera? Um, some of that is just, you, you have to wear, wear yourself out. So uh, I think it's interesting that... Uh, Regardless, even really well, you know, trained models who are really good at the camera, they have to warm up for the camera as well. So there's a point where they you, you warm up with it. So shooting through it, so maybe taking more photos, and after a while, you get tired of holding up the fake you, and the real you comes through. Uh, there's ways of maybe disarming that a little bit. I I always think laughter is a great thing, where you could you know somehow get your your subject to laugh or smile or uh, create some authentic emotion that automatically breaks that down. Um, and that goes back to then as a photographer, you got to be prepared to time that. So it might be the image that might be really authentic and true might be right after they laugh. There's this little brief moment or it might happen right before, or, uh, you know, it's, it's those simple kinds of things that might disrupt that. 
that could could create a better image. So those things are kind of important. I think you know once you get to know somebody, sometimes that helps as you kind of ease that. Uh, one thing I noticed recently, I did a, a bunch of, of portraits and um, it was interesting because I did two. Uh, there was a group of, of 15 artists that were nominated to be the most influential in uh, in Utah based off of the 15bytes.org, which is a local art uh, kind of online magazine. But uh, I, I photographed them in context. So in their studio space or kind of an image that kind of depicted their work. And then uh, afterwards, I, I did a photograph of just them on a white background. And I noticed the ones on the white background seemed to be more at ease and stronger imagery. And so they were near the end of the shoot. So as we were you know, working through that, that they had already warmed up and maybe got rid of all those bad faces and expressions. But uh, the other thing that changed is I kind of sat them on a stool or uh, an apple box that I use as a kind of a stool form. And then I was down on the floor. So there was a, a physical difference that uh, I was below the subject and the subject was above. And I think that physical dynamic also had a different sense of authority that, uh, you know, similar to being a child, that you're always looking up at the world, the adult world, and there's a different uh, sense of authority and power. And as a photographer, by lowering yourself, change that dynamic. And I think as a result, it, it gave me a little bit better imagery. So. Little things like that as you start thinking about the difference in power relationships. And uh, and also, you know, again, it's back to vulnerability. Are you willing to go along with the photographer's suggestions or try things that may, may, may be kind of crazy? I think there's a certain uh, quality of you kind of have to be a fool to be the genius. Right. And being willing to do that. And, you know, I, I think of uh, that example for me is perfect with... Um, You've seen the Will Ferrell skit, uh, the more cowbell skit where he's, you know, uh, playing the, uh, what was it? Blue Oyster Cult, I think is who they were making fun of on Saturday Night Live. But uh, but Will Ferrell was very willing to be this complete idiot and it made the whole skit magic. And so, you know, by doing so, he's the genius. So I think that's a great example. In some cases, I actually use that in school to kind of say, oh, you need more cowbell. Take more risk. Right. Uh, be be vulnerable. Be an idiot for a while. Be a fool. And maybe you'll find genius in that. Mr. T was wrong. We shouldn't pity the fool. No, no. <laughs> Although maybe in some cases, yes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, how, how do you tap into your creativity? So we talked about how there's kind of different different mm, creative outlets can create more creativity. So will you share a little bit about how you've created more creativity in your life? Well, I think, well, I do quite a lot of different, different things. So, you know, photography is one outlet um, and that can be different in all sorts of ways, whether it's analog and a darkroom experience versus a digital and, and compositing in Photoshop. Um, both of those can be, you know, different creatively a little bit. Uh, uh, I play guitar and compose music, so that's more of a hobby. I don't push that as hard as I do um, the photography, or at least I don't feel as expert in it. So Don't let them downplay you. Right. Don't let, but, him, but don't let them fool you, <laughs> people. 
but those he's really a rock and roll star but those things yeah we try to kind of work those together or writing so you know those are other elements that kind of coincide but i find that a lot of times you might get stuck in one you know a creative rut where things aren't flowing and at that moment it's like well let's move to one of the other elements so it's like if i'm stuck to it photographically maybe i need to play more music um, or writing or uh, it can even be in in the sense that something as simple as changing formats so with photography if i'm always shooting in color maybe shooting black and white or moving from a, a very uh, loose you know handheld pedestrian walking around kind of taking pictures versus a real slow methodical set everything up on a tripod kind of shooting both of those can be um, similar but very different in terms of process so I, I oftentimes find you know just switching that up sometimes uh, a different format camera you know going from a 35 millimeter digital to a large format four by five or two and a quarter medium format those things can change just because the camera forces you to see differently and and that somehow switches your brain a little bit and, and pushes your creativity. But I find them all kind of overlapping and intersecting and uh, working together in some different format, you know, as you start thinking about how a, a song might might come together. Those those, you know, sounds create space, they might create a landscape, they might create texture or mood or motion. And that might translate into the way you compose a photograph the way those values and luminosities come and create you know uh, your images so those to me kind of translate as well and you can kind of go back and forth so my i recall when we spoke before that you had mentioned how sometimes it requires leaving the work behind to gain of to gain more I think there's truth to that. I mean, just letting something rest can be so important. Um, I think you you have those examples where it's like kneading dough. Sometimes if you overwork it, it ruins it. It's like, don't touch it anymore. Let it, let it be. Let it rest. Um, I think a good example of this, too, is, uh, you know, taking a break. You know, a lot of times, you know, you, you see... Well, look at like ad agencies, you'll you'll think it's like a playground in their office. They have video games and pool table and ping pong. And, you know, you walk in and there's all these people playing these games. I go, what kind of job is this? Well, a lot of times you, you have this crazy creative output and then you have to rest it. Otherwise, it just doesn't help. You know, it, it doesn't work. So uh, and another example for that, I think, is um, Archimedes, a Greek mathematician was given the task of figuring out the difference between lead and, and gold. Uh, and he worked and worked and worked on this project. And, you know, his wife got mad and said, you know, go take a bath. You stink, you know, stop, take a break. And, you know, thankfully he listened to his wife and went and jumped in the tub. And as soon as he, you know, got in the water, the, the water rose on the side of the tub and, he realized at that moment that there's this idea of density that he could put, you know, a, a pure gold, uh, you know, element within the uh, within the water, and it changed the density. So, uh, you know, pure gold would be different than something lead or otherwise. And he jumped out of the tub, you know, Eureka! I, f I found it. You know, I discovered this, and and really he wouldn't have discovered that solution to his problem if he didn't listen to his wife and take a break. 
So letting something rest, taking a break oftentimes can be one of the best things for your creativity. And I think working that into your process is really important. Um, I oftentimes will have multiple images working at once. And when one gets bogged down or starts to fight or just as a struggle, I stop, you save it and move on to another one. Or, you know, if that doesn't even work, you take a break, bigger break, do something else, go to a movie, take a nap, read a book, you know, go for a jog, whatever it is, you'll be surprised at, you know, how your subconscious is still cranking on that problem. And it comes back and, you know, the next time you open it up and it's the solutions right there. And you're just like, oh, where did this come from? Right. But a lot of it's it's just giving that that sense of rest, that place where you can let that breathe. So um, we've talked about, you know, growth mindset and people who are willing to explore and take the chance of maybe being terrible at something in order to become good at something. And specifically kind of the aspect of putting in the work. And so can you expand on that? Well, again, I mean, a lot of things are all about practice and repetition. And, you know, you, the more the more practice you do something, the better you get at it. And I think that's a, an important thing that we think about. Um, you know, doctors and attorneys, they talk about having a, a practice and practicing law, practicing medicine. Uh, and I think we, we look at it maybe with professional athletes that practice for a living. Um, are we practicing these other things? Are we, you know, practicing musicians? Uh, you know, how many hours a day do they play? And what do they do? Well, a lot of times it's back to fundamentals, you know, are they working on skills that build, you know, scales or speed or efficiency with, you know, the guitar or piano or uh, with athletes, you know, it's back to fundamentals and, you know, strength training and, you know, real basic things. And I think the same thing applies to any art that you're doing. Are you working on fundamentals of your practice for photography? It's back to those three I talked about with light, composition, and, and uh, time. Are we thinking about those elements in every image? And sometimes those are other ways of getting back to uh, basics and inciting in uh, renewal in, in a, a creative block. I can go back and say, you know what, I'm frustrated with all my stuff. I can just fall into, I'm just going to go make images about light. I'm going to just go react to light and make images that way. Or I'm just going to wander the street and look for interesting composition. And it's really back to photo 101. It's back to my very beginning. And it can become such a, a fundamental uh, a tool for me. And it's just practicing the basics. But it in itself also brings through a um, a wonderful uh, way to renew my my creativity. So so I think that needs to be a, a big part of it. And it's an ongoing thing. You have to uh, respect it. You have to practice. You have to give time to it. Uh, sometimes I find if I'm not giving my own work the attention it needs, it's you wonder why I'm kind of off. Why am I grumpy? Why do I feel upset about life? Or it's like, well, you're spending too much time helping my students with their work or working on other clients' work and not giving my own work, my own vision, its respect that it needs. Hmm. So that's another really important one to kind of keep so that balance. So how do you create that boundary? How do you do that? Oftentimes it's like treating your work just like another assignment. 
you know, like if I get an assignment for somebody else, you know, I, I have to hit a deadline and fulfill that. Uh, same thing that I'm working with student work and, you know, I've got to grade their work and assess it and present things and all that. But am I putting that into my schedule that this block of time is set aside for me to work on my work? So there's a book called The Artist's Way. And in that book, so, she talks about the the morning pages that mm -hmm. every morning you do three, three longhand pages of writing and you just write whatever and you do it every day. And then she talks about taking yourself on an artist date. And it's literally where you take yourself to do something right. by yourself. And she talks about how, people, how you will, there will be sabotage that will like try to influence whether or not you actually take yourself on these dates that you'll be willing to be like, Oh, I'll just go hang out with my friends rather than invest in your creativity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I have tried to practice these things just for my own personal growth. And she talks about how you go through kind of this anger phase and you go through some phases as you're writing as well, which is true. Mm -hmm. I went through them and I was like, whoa, this is kind of a roller coaster. Um, but in that process, she says, those are the two things you never, you never let go of. Right. And I'm curious what you think about that or how, I mean, you clearly said that you set aside time for yourself, but in other, what other ways have you gotten yourself creatively unblocked or why has that worked for you? You know? Well, I think, yeah, it, it makes sense to, I mean, and I've done those, uh, the artist way is a great one. Um, you know, working through just those morning pages can be, you know, a, a practice of kind of a mind dump in a lot of ways. And what's interesting is you're kind of letting go of all this junk that's built up in your life and you just put it on those pages and, and you don't have to edit. You don't have to think about it. It can be good, bad, everything in between. And, and it, it is, it, it's a cleansing kind of thing, but over time you'll start, you know, instead of dumping all this junk, it's almost like you just dump ideas and concepts and, things that are real important start to come out, but it's almost like you got to get work through that practice to kind of get to that. Uh, the artist date is a fabulous thing. And I think that a lot of times you think, oh, it's got to be this elaborate thing. Mm -mm. I think what it is, is what's going to rejuvenate your creativity is that uh, it could be a great nature walk. Uh, maybe it's a nature walk and journaling or taking photographs, or maybe you go out and sketch um, maybe it's, you know, dancing, it's, you know, whatever you, you can kind of look through, you know, something that you just feel like what's going to, you know, spark that thing that keeps you alive and makes you active and, um, and you do it just for you. And so I think those can be really important things. And that can be a real frustrating thing if you're in a relationship, because a lot of times we're like, oh no, I can't leave, you know, can't leave my partner and run off and do my own thing but hopefully you can develop that in your relation to your, your relationship and, and you have that strength in it that you say you know i i would hope you know I, my spouse would say hey something's off you go on an artist date you need this afternoon this saturday you go do your thing from eight let's reconvene at six tonight uh, and and it's amazing how how that can be so beneficial for us uh, in relationships. The other thing I and think it can nurture the relationship oh, so much. Completely. Like it can just real. And I mean, all of us know that like, there's, there's too much, like there's times where you need that like space. You need the, 
the capacity to go do your things, to have the energy to give to the relationship as well. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting about that too is I think a lot of times we might get swallowed up in a relationship. Our individuality, our you know, fundamental things that make us who we are, which are, are you know, which is what people fall in love with. Uh, those get lost in the relationship because it's more about, you know, us rather than me. But if you can recognize that in each other and say, you know, I want this for you and let them run off and, and figure that out and support them in those means, um, those can be such a powerful thing because it, it, it maintains that individual identity, but it also then, you know, brings that back to the relationship. And I think you'll find that being a huge thing that will maintain the balance and um, it, yeah, it makes the relationships much, much better. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm like the things that most people, even relationship coach, coach my Matthew Hussey, that's my little push for him. Matthew Hussey always says like, if you want to uh, re-energize a relationship, go do your own thing, you know, like mm -hmm. go love your life again, go mm -hmm. fall in love and make sure that you're giving your yourself the energy that, you normally give yourself when that person isn't in your life. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so Wayne Dyer says, don't die with the music still in you. So in what ways have you shared your music and in what ways do you still need to share your music? I think that's, I would probably say that of my creative outlets that I don't share my music as much uh, or writing. I remember, I think it was sixth grade. I want to, poetry contest and I, I still write but I don't share it um, maybe I've kind of tried to channel all that into image making or photography but um, I think that's something that I'm still trying to find the balance of, of what it is I think oh, maybe the bigger challenge I have with it is there's a, a greater sense of, of self-doubt and inner critic that's tied to those for me I feel much more vulnerable and like, oh, this isn't good enough. I need to kind of kind of work through it. But what you'll find, you know, I think the last time I played, it was, uh, you know, a little church activity. And I just decided just to find kind of this emotional core to the song and just sing it regardless of whether I think my voice is good or whether I can sing or not. And, and as a result, it makes all the difference. And all the things I'm worried about, like, oh, everyone will think I can't sing and this is really awful. And um, all of that's just a bunch of lies because no one cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one looks at that and thinks, oh, he's a lousy singer. It's like, no one said that, you know? And so it's all kind of made up. And I think that's one thing that the inner critic does or that inner critic's also tied to this notion of resistance. It's always there trying to, you know, if you wanted to read a book called The War on Art, I think that'll it's my favorite. One talk, of my favorite yeah, books. talk about resistance, and I, the same author has three or four kind of versions of that that are helpful. But um, you kind of have to tell the resistance off. You know, you got to really flip at the bird and say, "No, you're wrong. You're a big fat liar. I'm not listening to you." And you got to have to, you know, do it. You have to, you know, lean into it and just make it go. And I think that's back to maybe some of that idea of, of risk taking and and risking failure, but risking that be a fool to be the genius. And so I think that's an important one. I, I know that's something I have to work on a little bit more with my own. 
And it, that can be not only with music, but it maybe it's in exhibitions or right. selling your work or yeah, I trying things. Yeah, this is things. inclusive of all of yeah. all efforts to bring what you really love to mm -hmm. the table and not hide it from the world. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think that's so important that you find a venue for that. And you know, maybe you just start with your friends and family, and then and build from there. But um, I think you know, really thinking through it in the sense of just you know put it together and, and put it out there. And I, you know, I think Seth Godin talks more about publishing. Like sometimes I think we're, we hold back because we, uh, I think we have to be, it's gotta be perfect. Right. It's, it's not ready. I can't, I can't show this. I can't publish. I can't, you know, explore that, you know, express this in the world. But the key to it is just moving through that idea and, and do throw it out in the world and then react to it and adjust it and refine it. And, it was a really a big key to it. So, Bill, do you want to share a quote before we wrap things up? I, I can't remember what this was. Will you remind me? And also, Stephen Pressfield, the author of The yes. War of Art, yep. he says that, um, he says, you know, there's only, you know, not ever, no one in this world has exactly what you have. Like, give us what you've got, right? Like, don't let the music, I mean, the whole idea, like, don't let the music die within you. Absolutely. With it, with it still in you, you know, the saddest places, right? Like, I interviewed Camille Nelson and she said, you know, the saddest, who said this, like the saddest places in the world are the graveyards because it's where all the die and people who died with the ideas still in them. And so it's just kind of that idea that like we need to allow people to see us. And that's, that can be scary, but that's also what creates connection and some of our most joyful moments in our lives is when we allow ourselves to be seen, whether we are perfect or imperfect. And it seems like a recurring theme in this podcast as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, this quote that I, I really like is from Chuck Close, who's a, a painter and, and he was really good at like photorealism and then had a, an accident to where now he's in a wheelchair and paints with his paintbrush strapped to his hand every day. And he paints every day, you know, every holiday, his birthday, every single day he paints, which I find insanely inspiring. Like if I can show up, if Chuck can show up to do that every day, what can I do? You know, what am I doing for my art practice and my creative practice? But um, a lot of times I think we, we sit around worrying about what to do and what inspiration should happen. But this quote is from, from Chuck. He says, the advice I like to give young artists or really anybody who will listen to me is not to wait around for inspiration. Inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. If you wait around for the clouds to part and a bolt of lightning to strike you in the brain, you're not going to make an awful lot of work. All the best ideas come out of the process. They come out of the work itself. Things occur to you. If you're sitting around trying to dream up a great art idea, you can sit there a long time before anything happens. But if you just get to work, something will occur to you. Something else will occur to you and something else that you reject will push you in another direction. Inspiration is absolutely unnecessary and somehow deceptive. You feel like you need this great idea before you can get down to work. And I find that's almost never the case. And I think that's, that's so true if we're always constantly working, if we're immersing ourselves in our practice and in our creativity, having all these things, music and writing and good food and friends and exercise and if you have all of that kind of working, but all these creative ideas are immersed in your life, it's very easy just to reach out and grab them because they're they're right around you, and it, it's the key to, to to success, I think. Mic drop, that was awesome. 
Such a great quote. Thank Go you. Chuck. Close. <laughs> yes. Go Simon. Always, Wendell. always great. So. Wondell. Wondell. Everyone. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.